Hey, hello Rockbridge, my name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team, and just want to welcome you to our weekend services, however you're engaged and watching with us, whether you're in person at one of our six physical locations, or you're watching online on YouTube, on Facebook, however you're here, we're glad that you're here, we believe you're here, you're listening for a reason. And it's a great time to be engaged and listening with us because we're starting a new series that we're going to be talking out, talking through and working through over the next several weeks. And it's a series that is coming from the word re, which is a prefix that means again or anew or afresh. And, and here, here's where this new series is coming from. I think a lot of us think of our lives in terms of seasons. And I know, you know, as a parent, as a dad, I mean, there, there's sports seasons for my kids, there's school season, there's summer season. So every time we come out of the summer season, my wife and I, Beth and I, we're always like, man, I can't wait for the school, school to start back. And we're excited about football season and watching our boys and our nephew play, uh, play football. But the season that I think so many of us, our, our pastoral staff, our elders at Rockbridge Community Church, the season we're talking about has less to do with weather patterns and the calendar and has more to do with a season we believe God wants to give us and is working in us as a people here at Rockbridge. And I think if you look in your life and your soul, you're probably ready for some re, something to restart or be refreshed, or a relationship, your faith to be reignited, uh, something to be renewed in your life. And so that's what we're going to be talking through and working through, through Scripture, through God's Word over the next several weeks. So we're praying. This is a new season. This is a great season. This is a season where we move forward into the best that God has for us because that's what God wants for us. So today we're going to journey with King David in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel will be in 18 and 19. And David needs some re in his life. And we'll see what that exact R-E word is as we navigate forward. But in 2 Samuel 18, we're coming to the end of an incredibly bloody, deadly civil war that actually David was fighting with his own son, Absalom. And so chapter 18 gives us the story of the victory that has been achieved in battle for King David. But it also comes with the news that David's son, Absalom, has been killed. And so into that pain and the problems of the Civil War and everything that sort of had been going on in David's life, we get a very interesting story and interaction between David and his commander of his, the commander of his armies, a guy by the name of Joab. So let's turn to God's Word. We'll pick up the last verse in 2 Samuel and then move into 2 Samuel 18 and we'll move into 2 Samuel 19. So he gets the news of the victory in battle, but also the death of his son. So here's what God's Word says. It says, The king was deeply moved, so we have deep emotion, deep grief, was deeply moved, and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. And he walked and he cried, My son Absalom, my son Absalom. And so David is just overcome by grief and overcome with emotion. He says, If only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. And it was reported to Joab, who's the king's commander of his armies, the king is weeping. He's mourning over Absalom. So when we meet David, he, he, he's in a dark spot. When we meet David, he, he's in a place of pain, and he's in a place of grief, and he's in a place of mourning. And I think it's just important for us to see that the Bible is written by and about people who, who, who deal with real life stuff. 
And I think it's important for us to understand this is part of life. And so here's where, that's where David is. But Joab becomes an interesting person and character in the story because he detects there's something else going on. There's something deeper. And so here's what happens. So it's reported then that, David's vic- that David is mourning even in the victory. And so here's what it says. That day's victory was turned into mourning for all the troops because on that day the troops heard the king is grieving over his son. So, so for them, it was a day of victory and celebration, and finally this terrible civil war is over. But because of David's grief and David's pain and the way he's going through it and the way he's expressing it, it really becomes a day of sadness or a season of sadness for all of Israel. So, that, so they return to the city quietly, which would be uncharacteristic of an army that's been victorious. They return to the city victoriously, excuse me, quietly that day, like troops come in when they are humiliated after fleeing in battle. And so to meet ourselves in this story, we need to understand that part of life, and, and you don't need me to tell you this, but part of life is always dealing with some form of what I'll call the four Ps. The pain, the pressure, the problems, and the past pain, pressure, and problems that sort of coalesce and still affect us in the present. All right, so pain, pressure, problems, that's part of being a human being in a broken world, in a world that's not perfect. That's part of being sinners who both sin and create consequences for ourselves and who are sinned against, which causes pain inside ourselves. So that's where David is. He's just living the four Ps. And and let's just stop for a second because I think a lot of us, when we look back at the past, whether it's our near past or our long-distance past, we realize there's just something about the past that we wish weren't true, but it is true. You see, the past can affect the present in an unhealthy way and thus rob the future. The past can, unhealth, can, can impact the present in such a way that it robs us of the future. So it's not enough for us to ignore pain, which some of us are, do, or be overwhelmed by pain, pressure, and problems. It's not enough just to get through it because getting through it, right, doesn't mean we're going to not have to deal with the, um, the woundedness, the, the pressure, the, the scars that are affected by uh, or that come into us from the past that affect us in the present. And so here's the great news that we have about our God, that God's grace is so powerful and so prevalent, and God is so willing to give it, that that grace is powerful enough to touch us, comfort us, and transform us through the four Ps that we all experience. That, that God has a purpose in it, and God can accomplish things through it. Now, don't, now notice, this, notice the word through. This is not that God keeps us from the four Ps, but His grace is powerful enough to touch and comfort and transform us through the four Ps. And so what we're going to see in the story is David, and, and I don't want this to sound... Uh, insensitive. But David is mishandling the four Ps. He's mishandling the, the, the pressure, the pain, the problems. He's mishandling his grief. So let me, let me explain that and then we'll see it in the story. So when we're mishandling the four Ps in our lives, a couple of things happen. 
There's a negative effect on others, a net negative effect on, uh, on others. Not that others can't help us when we go through problems. That's very much one of the ways God's grace comes to us. It's why we need a church family. It's why we need to sit in circles with people in small group and all of those things. But there's a net negative on others, and you see that in the fact that the troops who are excited and finally the war is over, suddenly they're stricken with grief, and the Scripture tells us they, were, they, they came back home like almost feeling humiliated. Another sign that maybe we're mishandling the four Ps is that our walk with God suffers. When we're handling the four Ps correctly, actually our walk with God deepens and grows. And another sign is we live, react, and respond in the present with emotions shaped by the four Ps and the emotions that show up. It's like, you know, we get angry at our family over something small and insignificant, but our anger is really high and seems disproportionate to the situation at hand. And it's because that anger is being fueled by uh, the presence or the unresolved presence of one of those four Ps. And then the fourth sign is, man, we just get stuck. We're just like stuck in life. Just stuck and can't seem to move forward or, or it just sort of feels like we're just going through the motions and, and we just move from one season to the next, but nothing changes inside of us and nothing changes in our perspective and nothing changes in our attitudes or our, or our outlooks or our relationships. We're just stuck. So back to the story. So we've seen how David's uh, handling of this, this pain of his son's death is affecting others, and we're going to see how it affects uh, other things as well. And so it, despite the fact that his troops come home and they're humiliated and they're embarrassed, David is still in his grief and he's stuck. And so it says, the king covered his face and cried loudly, my son Absalom, Absalom, my son. And it's like this, because we get this, this phrase, this, this cry of David's repeated in Scripture, it's almost like David, I don't know, this probably happened to you, you get a, st a song stuck in your head, you get a soundtrack or, or some song or some uh, chorus stuck in your head, and that's what can happen to us with pain pressure problems that accumulate and, and or become part of our past that show up in our present and rob us of our future. is It's like there's a song stuck in our head, and it's not a good song. It's not a good narrative. It's not a place to be stuck. And so here's, what, here, here's where we are. God's grace that we just said earlier can transform, can touch, can, can renew and bring that R-E word to us. God's grace is not touching David. Now, let me lean in. Church, all of you that are listening, God's grace is meant to touch every part of your being. Everything you've been through, everything that you've gone through, God's grace is supposed to touch that. God's grace is not just supposed to get you into heaven. God's grace is supposed to touch us in, in all aspects. And so David's problem, though, it's not in what he, what he knew or what he learned. It's in what he forgot. God's grace, David's problem is that you know, he forgot something. He forgot something about God. He forgot something about who God is. We know he knows it because we can go read the Psalms. And we can see how David went through trial after trial and crisis after crisis and adversity after adversity. And he always landed on the feet of the sure foundation of his faith. But in this one instance, in this one instance, he seems to have forgotten all that. And it's a reminder of something, and it's a tension 
that those of us who, who, who follow Jesus, we're aware of this because of the life we have to live. But there's, there's two sets of facts, if you will. And there's the facts of life. And we even say, hey, it's just a fact of life. And, and what we mean is, hey, that's just the way it is. And life until Jesus comes back is filled with pain, pressure, and problems. And a past that sometimes we just rather forget about or not deal with. That's a fact of life. And the fact of life is reported to David is, hey, sir, you won the battle. You won the war. The war's over. But you lost your son. And those facts just overwhelm him. But there's also facts of faith. There's facts that God has declared true in His Word and based on His character and based on His love for us as demonstrated by His Son's death for us. There's facts of faith. And I think we all come to these moments, these seasons, these times in our life where the facts of life just seem to, at least in our perspective and our emotions, the facts of life just overwhelm or cover up or hide or minimize or reduce the facts of faith. And so the declaration that we've got to live with and understand is this. Hey, the power in life and the power for our journey is not in the circumstance. But so many of us, we give power to our circumstances, which ends up reducing and minimizing the presence and the grace of God in our lives. And so, yeah, the circumstances of life are not always positive, but the power is not in just the facts of life by themselves. The power is in the facts of our faith that help us through life. So the power is not in our circumstance. So the question becomes, okay, what do we do about this? We all struggle with those four Ps, right? We've, we've all had moments, probably in the not-too-distant past, where we're like, God, this is overwhelming, this is hard. Some of you, I know, are going through moments like this or a season like this right now. And so what's the solution? Because, you know, we can't change the facts of life. But we have to have a way to go through the facts of life such that we land and live by the power of our faith in our God. And, and the key to that is this biblical term called lament. Now, if you're like me, and I've grown up in church a lot all my life, been following Jesus since I was you know, a little boy about the age of eight, maybe your discipleship to Jesus, you're being a student, a follower of Jesus, has never taught you how to lament. And, and I'm going to be honest, okay? I, I've been pastoring this church for almost 20 years. It wasn't until the last, about roughly about the last year that I even came to study or know what lament is. But lament is biblical. You find it in God's Word. That lament is a form of grief, but it's way more than just saying, I'm hurting. It's way more, it's, it's bigger than complaining. It's bigger than just, just saying, hey, this, things are off and life is bad and life is hard and this stinks. It's bigger than that, okay? But it's a way of going through pain, dealing with pressure, handling problems that becomes transformative instead of enslaving. And see, I think a lot of us, we've never been taught how to lament. We've been taught how to complain. 
We, 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 we don't need any help learning how to get cynical, how to get bitter. And, and we've all discovered we can get stuck. But, but it is when we lean into our faith that we learn how to lament. And interestingly, David teaches us how to lament in the Psalms, even though here he doesn't lament. He just is stuck. That song is stuck in his head. So biblically, lament has four things. It's where we turn to God. Instead of getting stuck and focused on our circumstance, our situation, our problem, our pain, we turn to God and we bring the pain, the pressure, the past, the problem, whatever that P is, we bring that to God. And we say, God, I don't like this. Or God, I need help in this. Or God, this stinks. And, and we just come raw. See, a lot of us think, man, we got to clean up my act before I come to God. No, you just come to God and you bring that to God. And you ask him boldly for help. You admit you can't. You tell him you don't get it. You tell him you're afraid. You tell him you're angry. You tell him you're disappointed. You tell him you're discouraged. You tell him you're hurting. Whatever. And then you choose to trust. You choose to trust. Because see, here, here's this. Listen, 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 listen. If you don't, if we don't know how to lament... Where do we take our pee, our problem, our pain, our pressure, our past? Where do we go with it? Try to handle it on our own? If anybody should have been able to handle it on their own, it was David. Ignore it? That doesn't work. We've already seen if you ignore the past, it still shows up in your present and robs your future. So what do you do with it? Do you, do you just get relief from it through alcohol or pills or overeating or compulsive exercising? No, you learn to lament. But if we don't lament, we limit or restrict God and His grace. And we've already said that God wants His grace to touch every part of our lives, even the parts that we need to lament. So here's what I want to do. I just want to have a special time, Rockbridge, okay? I'm going to read you a psalm of lament, Psalm 13. And I just want to invite us all to, to read this as a prayer and then go into a prayer time, a season of prayer in our church, in your, in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, where you lament. See, here's what I know, okay? Some of you are going through divorces. Some of you have lost loved ones in this season to COVID. Some of you are still concerned and lamenting where, our, where we are as a nation, Sometimes we look out and, and, under, and, and we get connected with empathy and compassion to, to, to racism and bigotry that's still way too prevalent. And we need to learn to lament. Some of you, you know, the, the relationship didn't work out like you hoped. You can lament. Some of you are confused now that, hey, I thought we were past COVID and now there's Delta. We, we, we've got to learn to lament. So wherever you are with a 4P, and, and, and listen, honestly, right? You're either in it, coming out of it, or going to move back into it because it's a fact of life. But the facts of our faith through biblical lament help us live better and higher than just the limitations of our circumstances. So prayerfully, let's read Psalm 13 together. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? That's just raw honesty to God. How long will you hide your face from me? It means, God, 
I don't feel like you exist. How long will I store up anxious concerns with in me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? God, I don't think I'm winning. Consider me an answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I'll sleep in death. So, so you see, he's turning to God with the pain or the pressure or the problem or whatever's accumulated inside of him. And he's saying, God, I need your help. God, if you don't, my enemy will say, I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. I'm disturbed. I'm unsettled. But we have to, people of God, people considering becoming a person of God, we have to choose to trust. We have to look to the cross and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the defeat of death and the hope of eternity. And we have to choose to trust God in our now, in our today, in our pain, pressure, problem, and the accumulative effect of our past that we wish we could rewrite but can't. So David says, but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. Hey, three verses ago, he was like, God, I don't even know if you exist. And now he's like, no, my heart will rejoice in your deliverance. And I will sing again. And it won't be a bad song that's stuck in my head. It will be, I will sing of you, God, and your grace and your love. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously because that's kind of God he is so wherever you are you're at home on your device with your family watching on YouTube you're seated in one of our venues of worship would you pray and I'm just going to give us a moment just to be still and connect with some pressure pain or problem or a past issue or situation that's just unresolved God, we're just in your presence with our imperfections. We're in your presence with pain, with pressure, with problems, with the past. People struggling with diagnosis, marriage problems, money problems faith faltering, grief, confusion over current events, COVID, loss of loved one, grief, addiction, anger that keeps getting the best of us, cynicism, bitterness, Disappointment, discouragement, discontentment, maybe whatever sense of defeat brought on by whatever. But God, sometimes you confuse us or sometimes we don't understand. But today, we want to handle those, those four Ps that are facts of life. We want to handle them biblically.
through lament. And we turn to you and we trust. Trust God not just because we have a feeling in our stomach. We trust because you put your son on a cross. We trust because you resurrected that dead son. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne. And he intercedes for us. And he promises that when we trust you, God, we will rejoice forever. For the best is yet to come. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, now. For some of you, you need to stay right where we are. Think of it like a baseball field, diamond. And lamenting and going through the four Ps and dealing with that is a little bit like first base, second base, third base, and home. But I'm going to go ahead and bring us home. But some of you need to continue in lament. And if we can help you, our pastors, our elders, our small group leaders, our bridges, we'll be glad to lament with you and to help you. But I'm going to show us where God wants us to end up, okay? I'm going to show us the re that David gets to. All right. So David is stuck and he's mourning and he's not lamented yet. And Joab shows up. Joab goes into the house of the king and he said, Today you have shamed all your soldiers. Those who saved your life as well as your sons, your wives, and your concubines by loving your enemies and hating those who love you. Today you have made it clear that the commanders and soldiers mean nothing to you. In fact, he's getting on to David. He's admonishing David. He says, in fact, today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, it would be fine with you. He's saying, David, look, you're stuck. And your stuckness is hurting the rest of us. And it's not right. This is not how you're supposed to live. You are not supposed to be overwhelmed like this. You are not supposed to be discouraged like this. You have hope bigger than this and beyond this. So Joab gives the grace of confrontation over the grace of comfort. And it's confrontation with truth. And the truth is, hey, look, God's, got, God's grace can help you through this, David. But if you don't get through this, it is going to kill and hurt and damage the rest of us and your purpose and your platform and the glory of God. Now, I want to be, be clear, okay? It takes confrontation with truth to open us up to grace. So we can go through a crisis and leave unchanged, untouched, and just survive, grit our teeth, get through it, and move on, but still be affected by the pain, the pressure, the problem that becomes the past that shows up in the present and robs us of the future. But it's in the crisis or not where the confrontation with truth comes that opens us up to receive grace. Grace that touches us in those four P areas. And so Joab comes and confronts David with truth. It's the grace of confrontation. And, and I want to say something, Rob Ridge. I pray all of us have friends in the faith 
that are willing at times with God's wisdom to give the grace of confrontation. All of us want this grace, right? Oh, life is hard. Things are bad. We're with you. And we need that. But there are strategic moments where we need friends in the faith. And I pray our small groups begin to have more and more of this where we give the grace of confrontation with truth, which opens us up for grace, which brings true healing, true deliverance, true freedom, true hope, true peace, and true joy. All right? So, okay, what should David be doing? He's stuck. What should he be doing? What Joab says. Get up. Go out and encourage your soldiers. See, sometimes the best thing you can do and I can do when we're in, when we're in a crisis, when we're in pain, when we're in discouragement, is go try to bless somebody else. So get up, go out and encourage your soldiers. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will remain with you tonight and you will lose what God has given you. And your purpose is in jeopardy. This will be worse for you than all the trouble that has come to you from your youth until now. So what is the, R, the re word, which means again or anew, that David is being admonished and encouraged to do by Joab? And it's our word for part one of this new series. And it's the word re-engage. You have pulled yourself out. You have sidelined yourself from purpose, from mar your marriage, your kids, your family, your church. You've sidelined, you know, you're physically present, but emotionally and mentally you're distant. You know, you've, you've gone through the motions to get through this, but God wants you not only to get through this, He wants you to thrive and move forward, and He wants to bring grace to you through this. Re-engage. David, you got to re-engage. Church, we got to re-engage. So what does David do? Does that song stay in his head? Does he stay stuck in his grief and his mourning? So the king got up. And he sat in the city gate. And all the people were told, look, the king is sitting in the city gate. The city gate is sort of like the courthouse. It's just the center of political and economic activity and vitality. It's where the king went to be the king. And so the people are told, look, David's back at the gate. And they all came into the king's presence. The people needed to see their king being their king. People need to see God's church being the church. People need to see their dads being their dads. Their, their husbands and wives being the husband, being a wife. People need to, if you're a Christian and you go to work in, quote, a non-Christian environment. People need to see you being a Christian, being at the gate, being engaged. And it's in this moment, look, we know, listen, we know David doesn't feel like doing it. But he goes with what's right, not with what he felt. He shows back up. He's broken, but he's back. That's what some of us need to say. Hey, I'm broken, but I'm back. I'm broken, but I'm back. See, we got to re-engage at the gate. I, I think there's a gate all of us know we're supposed to be at right now in this moment. The gate of motherhood, gate of fatherhood, yes. The gate of being a part of the local church, absolutely. The gate of being a witness to Jesus Christ, absolutely. Whatever gate God brings to your mind or you know, re-engage at the gate. 
And, and I want to say this to all of us, okay? If your current path or your current plan does not get you to the gate or it takes you from the gate, you're on the wrong path with the wrong plan. That's one way, you know, I'm on the right path, am I thinking right about this? If it doesn't take you back to the gate or takes you away from the gate, it's the wrong path and it's the wrong plan. So, I want us all to look at our lives for just a moment. Re-engage at the gate and take a step, okay? Because see, I think, I think for a lot of us, we could sort of say, as, the, as we conclude part one in, in this series, I'm so excited about this series, encourage you to be with us each and every week for it. But a lot of us, you know, maybe we can say this, you know, hey God, hey, 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 up until now, I was enslaved by. And maybe you never lamented, never faced, never invited God's grace into that area. I was enslaved by. Up until now, I let fear hold me back from my gate. Up until now, I defined success differently than God. My definition of success was money, or my definition of success was American prosperity, or my definition of success was what people thought about me, and that's all been disrupted. Now my definition of success is faithfulness at my gate. Up until now, I wouldn't take action that maybe I knew needed to be taken. So, wherever this hits you, would you re-engage at the gate? And listen, the reason you and I can do this is because it's been done for us. You see, Jesus had to go to the cross that was his gate. And he went to the cross and he took my sin and your sin with him. And he died for me, but he also died instead of me. And then he rose again from the dead so that God could put his spirit within me. And it is his spirit within me that calls me to the gate, that empowers me to live faithfully at the gate. And I think and I pray and I hope that right now, you're here for a reason, and you're here to hear the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit of God calling you back to your gate or calling you to look at the cross and say, I'll follow that Jesus because he took my place and his love is better than life. So, new season, but it starts with re-engaging at the gate. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for every person that's watched, that's heard, that's listened. I believe, God, that has not been in vain, but that your purpose and your will will be accomplished. So let us hear your voice clearly. Let us hear your word clearly. Let us go to the gate faithfully. God, some people here need to continue in lament, and they need your grace and mercy, and we're here with them in that. But God, our ultimate place is back at the gate. Lead us forward in faith, because when we follow you, King Jesus, we can always say the best is yet to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.